Welcome to episode 2 of season 2 of From Adventure to Innkeeper, a podcast for all LARPers. I am your host, Martin, and we will be talking about live-action roleplay events and experiences. Throughout the series, we will talk about specific LARPs and also more general topics surrounding LARP. Um, and today we're going to be looking at venue and scenery of LARP, both from an organizer aspect and from a player aspect. Venue and scenery are important in considering a LARP because it can so influence many aspects of the LARP itself. It influences immersion, it influences how the game is played, it influences the underlying feelings of the players themselves. There are, of course, many other ways that venue and scenery can impact a LARP, and which... <laughs> which I have not mentioned and, and which uh, we may uncover some of those in discussions. Um, but I also think that we should let some players speak to what they feel it means to them. So we're going to hear from a multitude of players and they're all going to be answering the same question. Um, but the same two questions. The first is, is to please give us their name and the second is what is special about venues and scenery in LARP to you? Yeah, so my name's Ian, and what I uh, find most important about venues and setting in LARP is it really comes down to, like, getting you in that scene, getting you in character. I mean, I've played, like, Mind's Eye games where, you know, you kind of imagine the place, and yeah, I, I think everyone can do that to an extent, and that's that's very powerful, and that's very good, but when you're actually immersed in that setting, it just kind of creates that kind of pathway that gets your mind and your mental acuity into that realm into that space into that place and by doing that it just um it just facilitates all the engagements the game as a whole all of that so what i find most important is is it adds that extra layer layer of realism and in a weird way like escapism that we as players look for when we go to those games Hi, I'm Lars. To me, a venue can be very important. It is definitely not the end all of a LARP. I mean, a well-designed LARP can be really, really good, even in a generic venue, but the right venue can really set the tone. A LARP like Conscience, for instance, which was set in a really epic Western village, really sets the tone right away. Uh, Marked in England was set in what basically was supposed to be Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters. And as soon as you come to that place, you're instantly there. It really sets the tone really well. So if you have the right venue, it really, really helps, but it is definitely not the end all. Thank you. Oh, my name's Peter and um... To answer this question, basically, it makes it can make or break the LARP. It really can. It's it adds so much to the immersion if you're in a location that's that matches what you're doing. Um, I've been in one LARP that's changed location several times, and the location that we're using has affected the LARP and affected the role play because if we're in a location that doesn't make sense in the context of the, the set setting, it, it's kind of depressing. Even if you dress it up, it's still kind of depressing. Uh, doing a LARP on a, on a battle, on a battleship or on a, a cruiser or a destroyer. That's a LARP about outer space is absolutely positively 
I mean, you, you feel like you're actually there, you're actually doing it, and you're not at that point. It kind of feels like you're not playing a game. You're you're actually doing it. You're you're it, it becomes that much more real and, and increases the immersion. Hi, my name is Stephanie. Um, and oh goodness, what makes venues and scenery is important to, uh, yeah. Now that I've recorded, now I can't talk, I'm sorry. Um, venues and scenery and LARP, I'd say they can be really important. I think that, you know, we've been on battleships and destroyers and you've been in even crazier places they really help set the scene and they help make you feel in the world that you're a part of and it helps you step out of yourself and into somebody else um but i think especially with everything that's happened recently um just the act of going to somewhere that is not where you normally are helps you be someone that you not are not also aren't normally um but yeah i think that like having a good venue uh, but having a good venue is important having um like good set dressing things that make you you know feel more immersed in the scene super important you know hiding things that are certainly not something that you would see you know in a fantasy larp or in a you know historical are super important um but yeah there's uh just something really something really important about just not being where you normally are i think um it i don't know i was trying to think about this when you asked me this question earlier and um it's just it's, i don't know it's a really deep question and there's a lot of like facets to the answer and it's hard to put them all in place um and i guess you do have to break it down in between like the idea of venues and the idea of scenery because like you know i've you've, most people have like larped like in a room for four hours and they've had some like the best larp experiences of their lives and like the scenery and the set dressing sometimes help make that more immersive, but sometimes it's just the people that you're with, um, you know, and there's people who, you know, go out into the woods and sometimes the woods is all you need. I don't need anything else. I don't need, you know, a castle. I don't need a fort or a bunch of horses or anything else. I just need the woods and all these people dressed up in costume and we're good. Um, but then other times, you know, you do these blockbuster LARPs as they like to call them now. Um, and, you get to sort of have like that extra icing on the cake where you're on like, you know, like a battleship or you're, you know, in a Polish castle or out in the Sahara desert or on the ocean on a ship pretending to be a pirate and you get to have that extra layer of immersion, um, which I think is super cool if you can get it. But I think um, it speaks to the quality of the LARP itself when you like almost don't even need those things um because some of the best experiences I've had in LARP were like in the woods at three o'clock in the morning um so thank you to all the players who took part in that and shared their views um 
What then is Venue and Scenery LARP specifically? That's what we're going to be discussing today. This show is for both new LARPers through to seasoned veterans, and we will be implementing a scale to let you know the main focus of the episode. Episodes aired every odd-numbered month, so January, March, May, July, September, November, and will be approximately one to two hours in length. Every episode is for everyone, but some will focus more on issues which will resonate more with one group or another, and as such, we've implemented a scale to tell you the focus of the topics and possibly the depths of some of the various bogs and dungeons that we'll wade into. The scale for this episode is going to be well-known noble, so right in the middle. As this episode covers a wide variety of LARP, I have arranged for some guests to help me via Zoom uh, to help discuss their thoughts on Venue in LARP. So with me today via Zoom, uh, I have Christopher from Sweden, Alessandro from Italy, and Eric from the U.S. So thank you, Christopher, Alessandro, and Eric for joining me today. Um, before we begin an open discussion, uh, let me first ask you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and involvement with LARP. Um, so Alessandro, if, if you'd like to start. Hey, thank you, Martin. Thank you also, Christopher, Eric, and all the listeners. I'm happy to be there. I'm Alessandro Giovannucci. I'm from Italy. I'm one of the founders of the Chaos League. So we organized um, uh, LARP since 1992. We started um, in the last year to last um, four years to do international LARP. We did the um, uh, SAR expedition. We had a, a bit of resonance and also Bunker 101. And we wrote the Southern Way Manifesto, and we also are active in Chamber and recently online LARP. Uh, everything to try to have experience that have an, um, an emotional deepness as much as, as we can. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. Um, I'm just going to continue in alphabetical order. So, Christopher, you are, you are up next. Okay, well, thanks for this. It's going to be really fun to talk to all of you. Uh, I'm Christopher Sandberg. I'm from Sweden, and I've been LARPing for a long time, organizing and producing events. My first sort of big event was Three Villages, or Trenebilja in Swedish, which uh, gathered about 1,000 people for a week, and it sort of got a lot of uh, Scandinavian LARPers, or at least a lot of Swedish LARPers to come together. And since then I've been doing it uh, professionally and for fun for the Swedish UN and uh, Royal Theatre and so on. Um, and for a few years now, I've been uh, involved in College of Wizardry, the uh, sort of Harry Potter inspired magical LARPs at castles in Europe. Uh, and I, I'm a LARPer as much as I can be. Uh, I love it. Excellent. Thank you for that. Uh, and then uh, last but certainly not least, Eric. Hey guys, I'm Eric Loeb. Uh, thank you, Martin, for having me today. And it's great to be here with Alessandro and to meet you, Christopher. I've heard a lot about you and it's awesome to kind of be in a space with you and discuss LARP stuff. Um, so I started as a LARP educator and I began in early 2000 when I was first introduced to LARP. I just went to one LARP, said I want to turn this into an education platform for multiple literacies, and kind of just went from there to the drawing board and just designed ways to teach how to do LARP uh, safely for kids, because in the States, it wasn't something that was readily available. And I was like, this was going to be a lot of fun. And out of that came the production of LARP events. 
So two years ago, we finished uh, at the Res One. It was a 10 year long campaign. Uh, and we have in the, lat in, in the end of those years developed other projects like Legends of the Stars, our kind of space odyssey, opera LARP. And during that time also Infection, which is a dystopian LARP that leads up to a very cyberpunk world. Um, and now that we've wrapped up those projects, we're kind of looking at how to do that again and also revising our curriculum. And we usually serve about 100 families and their youth a year and about 50 to 60 adults. So it's much smaller on the adult LARP size, much bigger on the youth LARP size. Excellent. Well, thank you for that, Eric. Um, so to ensure that we're all on the same page for the purposes of this conversation, I'm just going to briefly define what specifically we're talking about today which is venue and scenery. Um, both of these can obviously be exactly the same thing, um, but for the purposes of discussion, we're going to define venue as a physical location of the LARP, uh, whether it be a general place such as the Sahara Desert or a specific place such as a manor home. Uh, scenery would then be anything that could be used to further decorate an area, and this could be things like banners hung in a castle, computer screens added to an area of a ship, or tents to set up uh, like a camp. Um, so hopefully now we're, we're all generally on the same page. So I'll open this up to my guests uh, on Zoom so we can begin to delve a little bit deeper into this aspect of LARP. So let's start with how each of you feel that this definition works or doesn't work for the venue and scenery of LARPs. I, I've been thinking about it. Uh, this is Christopher. Uh, since... Um, uh, you you post it, and I and I've uh, I realized that it's uh, it touches on a friend of mine is a, is a theater director, and he talks about scenery as the everything that happens on the stage, including the actors' uh, uh, actions and so on. And if I think about venue as where you go, and uh, scenery as what you bring uh, to that place, I it just struck me as that the fact that you, the people you bring is part of that. So I thought that was an interesting angle to think about, especially for LARPing, um, that you, how you place and, and, and activate the, the participants or the characters is part of what you bring to the venue. So I've been thinking about those terms uh, when I'm trying to, because I, you can use terms like location and, and set dressing or, you know, there's so many different terms from different disciplines. And if you talk about venue and um, scenery, uh, I had to sort of figure out why you wanted to slice it that way. So I started thinking about humans as part of scenery, I guess. I'm, I think it's a good way to describe the difference between venues and, and scenery. I see that as a, as a separate, separate um, piece of, of the same puzzle because they, they need to work together, in my opinion, for, for a lab. Uh, for example, with Chaos League, uh, venue, logistic team and scenery team are not the same, even if they work closely together, of course. Mm. And um, what I'd like to stress is also that venue and scenery and um, lab design and game experience have to be, let's say, on the same level. They have to cooperate a lot. They are mutually important. Um, I saw so many good LARP, let's say, ruined by a bad location choice and vice versa. I mean, a link to what Christopher just said is, yes, I think uh, 
basically basically is 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 not easy to do a, a difference between human and scenery in LARP. I mean, they interact that much. Of course, a human is a human and a job a object is an object, but they need to cooperate to create this kind of of, of magic cycle. And so, be immersed in that. I mean, object of of, of a soul in LARP. I mean, uh, <laughs> it can sound strange. I understand, but this magic materialistic uh, side is, is present in, in scenery. I mean, I, I should say this also that for much of Swedish LARPing, uh, the venue has been the driver. Uh, I'm, not all of it, but if, if you look at the most, the volume of LARPing in Sweden, uh, the biggest volume is uh, fantasy LARPs in the forest because we have ready available for, we have you know legally we can set up tents anywhere basically and stay there uh, uh without asking permission um uh, i'm oversimplifying but basically we have we have freedom to roam and, and camp in our forest and so so but also then everything else than fantasy has has been very much driven from from a venue perspective it, it always goes something like this oh my god i want to do a train larp Oh yeah, what about Snowpiercer themed? And then you know, it goes into oh no, let's do the Orient Express. So it's this like a naive, uh, childish love to do a submarine LARP or a village LARP. And so the venue kind of often is the driver. Uh, that is one very specific part of of LARPing, of course. Nordic LARPing, that sort of more um, emotionally driven. Uh, part of, of Scandinavian LARP style starts from a completely different angle. But I should say most of LARP starts with falling in love with a venue or doing what we did with, with three villages. We decided what we wanted for venue and promised that to our players uh, before having secured it. Um, so, and we made a mistake of saying it's, it's the inlet from a great ocean with three villages at the sort of deepest part of, of that, uh, har that that bay so then we had to find a, a, river, uh, a lake big enough to look like the the inlet from a big ocean and with free areas for three villages so that was a nightmare <laughs> so maybe not promise too much about the venue before you have it uh, was my learning from that i like what you're saying christopher especially your first comment because it's very much when the larp is alive and together the people are definitely the scenery, right? When I come into a new LARP, and I, especially if I do not know the people there and I can't tell who's an NPC, I can't tell who's a PC, um, it is a living space. And I'm and I'm part of that. And although, you know, I have my, my personal point of view, so I'm here and this is all for me, but I'm just, for the other person, I'm the scenery as well. Um, I like that. I also always appreciate what Alessandra says, where LARP is about the experience, right? More than the story. And I've been thinking a lot about that since we last spoke on here, Alessandro. And what came up for me is when I was doing community uh, training with indigenous practices is the same would always come up, which is the land holds the house and the house holds the people. And this idea that um, the land is going to really and whatever's on it, whether it's uh, a castle, whether it's a desert, you know, it's going to really shape what's going to happen within that space. So I kind of think of it as like the container where the venue is like the fish tank, right? And the fish can only exist in the water with all the 
the scenery, the decorations inside, if it's a fish tank versus um, if this is like a tank for say, like a snake, it needs to be different and mm. have ventilation and things like that. So I kind of see that the, and, and, and from a, dis, and just from the, the, the business side of it, you brought up something very good, Christopher, which is like, you know, if, if you're going to have something and say it's something, you're going to need to work with whatever space you're in. Now with, you know, working with adults and kids and side by side, their needs are different. You know, you could go into the woods and tell a kid that, Hey, this is going to be a castle. And they're like, done, right. Just mm -hmm. don't go off the trails. Um, and you can do that with adults, but it's not as convincing. And so, and obviously with the youth, if you say we're going to be in a castle and then you bring them into a castle, their mind just explodes. Um, mm. There's almost not a need for scenery for the younger because of their imaginations like higher. But I feel like with adults, the scenery is uh, important as you define it, Martin, because it's like a dressing, right? Like if you show me a space wizard without a lightsaber, I'm not going to buy that they're a Jedi. I need to see the belt, the lightsaber, the robe, and then I'm sold that that actor is a Jedi. Mm -hmm. um, and without it, they're just another character. So okay, that's that, that brings me, sorry, th uh, that brings me to part of it, which is the, the hand props. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's not scenery, but if you think about sort of uh, set dressing and props and then, you know, hand props, it's not, it's not, well, it, which is, you know, the, the stuff that are mani is manipulated by actors or in this case, LARPers. Mm. Uh, that, that, that's even more modeled, I guess, because, you know, is it just a size? No, it doesn't have to be. It could be an entire, I don't know, cart on wheels or whatever, or the cars in all these post-apocalyptic things. Mm. Um, so that, then it's definitely sort of design theory. What kind of affordances or activations comes from, from the scenery or the objects? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. For, for, for Chaos League, uh, Alessandro, I was thinking, so you've been doing that for a very long time. Uh, the, how has the sort of gallery of, of uh, uh, scenery or, or props, how has it survived and evolved and become like super streamlined and you know exactly what, what you should bring by now? And, and one thing we learned, uh, as you said for the tree village is go location first. It can be, it sounds very trivial, but it's, it's something that we really, really um, learned in time. I mean, uh, we prefer to see the location instead of say, I want to do a train LARP and then become mad searching for a train with affordable, with playable, blah, blah, blah. Let's go with open mind to scout location. And then you see something cool and you say, what I can do with this location, with this venue. And then you start to try, which is very interesting exercise, what kind of story this um, space can um, uh, tell you, or what kind of story it is already embodied in, in, in the space. You know, this is, this is very, very important to me. Um, because, of course, we, we still go wrong from time to time because you cannot prevent your brain to have ideas, but it's very, very hard to travel the world finding the spot you have in your mind <laughs> because make your dreams come true is very, very hard and do some reverse engineering is, mm. is better. And also you can promise things to players that you already know. Mm. 
if you well, I mean it's it's very obvious uh, uh, but, but it's obvious but, but still, we all go wrong I think, kids, I think we, oh. yeah exactly so, <laughs> so this actually leads to I guess one of an, uh, an interesting question is what's been your biggest challenge in finding venues for LARP well, aside from that, when having promised an inlet from a big ocean <laughs> and, a, and a pristine forest with three villages, um, my, it's when it becomes professional production, then the challenges become really, really tough because um, then you have to have permits and securances and stuff like that, that you... In a, in a LARP, it's like it's a little bit flexible because everybody, what you said, Alessandro, it's the players are like that too. They kind of, okay, we couldn't use that forest, we're going to use that place instead. Or we, you know, it's people can sort of be flexible because it's for most of the time a hobby, although it's a very passionate one. But when, when it's when it's more locked in, then, then it's challenging. It can be really expensive to, to lock it down and so on. Uh, so that's when I've had most challenges as a producer uh, working when pro because also in the commercial world the the venue prices are ridiculous. Like I, I did a, play, a thing for uh, for a big brand uh, at South by Southwest where I think the, it was about thirty thousand dollars per day or something crazy like that for a an empty parking lot. Um, wow. uh, so so that that's that's when it goes really crazy. Um, but I, I guess I've been blessed by being reactive rather than seeking out venues mostly. Like uh, like the whole College of Wizardry thing wasn't, it wasn't my creation in the beginning. I was just a participant in the beginning, but but having to search for that would have been, uh, you know, slightly impossible. Uh, so, but th it was there and, and uh, one of the Polish organizers uh, knew about it and said, hey, you know what, this looks exactly like Hogwarts. Let's do something here. I think, yes, the, the particular, I don't find particular challenges in finding a location is more make that real. I mean, usable. Let's say it's more about logistic. You, I have a big folder or super cool location, but I need to figure out how to reach it, how to make it affordable and accessible, of course. So the big challenge, the biggest challenge is, as always, make your dreams come true and, you know, find something that is inspiring by still, you know, in the sky, you need to to take this location on the realm of possible, and uh, so I think the yes, the very problem is is very trivial, but is is the money, and is the accessibility. With accessibility, I mean both, of course, uh, having a location that can host people that have diverse um, mobility, for example, uh, needs, and also affordable. I mean, if it's super cool, but it's unreachable for all my players because it's like so far away or it's, it's too long to reach it becomes it becomes becomes hard and a bit unfair so um i think uh, all the organizers that organizing cool location i mean it's what i i do i i'm not suggesting that to other people if they feel it's fine it's um on the on, on side of biggest event with super cool location not super cheap is trying to do something for your community something that is more accessible and free as a sort of multiply the offer you know i do this big blockbuster international art but then for my community there is always something for free or very cheap that rely more on design for example that on venues because you know idea takes time but come cheaper than rent allocation mm -hmm. uh, 
So this is also something that is linked to, to venues. You can use cheap venues as a way to include people. I don't know. I found, sorry, Eric, go ahead. I was going to say, I don't know how it is for you guys. And it sounds like in Sweden, it's much easier, but LARP is still uh, kind of esoteric, not understood in the States. If you say LARP, people don't just say LARP. What, what, is, what do you mean? Is that someone's name? Um, but it's still kind of like people have just wrapped their heads culturally around D&D. &D, and they're like, okay, I get that that I maybe I'll do that but that LARP thing that's your brother that's I don't want to touch that that's weird and so even though we see reenactment <laughs> in the states like for example you know Plymouth Plantation was a place that originally was for reenactment of the first settlers and first nation people in America and but if I went to try to say hey I want to do a LARP here they would shut that down they'd be like no because that's too weird, right? We don't, we can't wrap our heads around that. And you know, then I could drop the the tag. Well, it's like my grandmother actually worked here, and she taught me how to LARP because she was one of your actors. And they'd be like, "Oh, okay, maybe that that would get me in." But there's this whole political game aside from what you brought up, Christopher, with like permits, licensing, policy, mm -hmm. and what you brought up, Alessandra, which is huge, like price tags, travel. And I'd even throw set in there like setup and storage and what's the quality of life while you stay there. I mean, trying to stay on some of these, uh, you know, old Navy vessels is brutal. Like the bathrooms hardly work. Maybe there's heat. You're lucky if you have running water, let alone hot water. And there's maybe two toilets for 60 people or something, you know, it's like that can be difficult too to, to get players and also, you know, people who are helping you run the event to even want to go to these things. So what I, and I think that's part of the thing. It's like what I found is some of the best events just have less amenities and then trying to trying to work with that. Like um, Alessandra, I mean, like you guys were a genius with uh, with Sahara and having just that little to that toilet thing that we could use. You know, like it gave me a sense of normalcy while I like pooped in the open desert there. You know, it, was, <laughs> it helped. We, we, uh, like you gotta be inventive to get around these things, but those could be challenges. Cause I remember people originally in chats being like, well, where are the bathrooms? And it's like, the, you're camping, there's no bathrooms. So like border potties, no, you're, you're outside. <laughs> and it was like, it was kind of a, whoa, you know. So this so levels of concept from convincing the venue that you can LARP to convincing the players that they can LARP, like that's another challenge I, I've come across. I, I was going to say um, that that temperature is is one of the big challenges at the venue because, as you say, like big warships, they're cold uh, and damp, and you know the desert is of course warm and then cold. And so I've seen that in all my projects, uh, the challenge of good sleep, uh, good sort of rest and food and and drink and and uh, the temperature of the place uh, because we're all kind of a little bit sort of soggy and, and comfortable uh, you know urban people most of us that can afford the luxury of going to LARPs and then we end up in a situation that is like pretty extreme uh, a lot of the cases and uh, maybe some of us go glamping or maybe some of us are actual outdoor people but but a lot of us is just sort of I don't know, comfortable people who want to be in the movie, sort of. Mm -hmm. And then, then the movie turns out to actually have wind and, and rain and stuff like that. But I was thinking about another thing when you said, when you talk, spoke about um, the sort of educational aspects of, of LARPing, uh, Eric. And I, and I remembered uh, one thing that Venue does that is 
pretty interesting uh, as a design thing is that it sets expectations for what it is. So if you do a, and it also relates to, you know, if people are gonna let you rent the place. So if you do a LARP in a gallery, then it's art. If you do a, a LARP in, in a, uh, you know, a forest, people are gonna sort of think fantasy. It sort of sets what people read into it. Is it interactive theater? Is it, is it immersive art? Is it, is it live action role play? Uh, and uh, the venue kind of dictates that a little bit. You can fight it and do some interesting clashes, but but um, anyway, it's a, it's an oversimplification, I guess, of, of what makes something art. But uh, and there was a Finnish guy, I don't remember who it was, that that in in the LARPS art discussion group that says one of the ways to make art into LARP is to call it LARP, and another is to do it with galleries or art people, because then it's art just because. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> and and maybe that's also a way to get the location is to talk about it as an art installation or to talk about it as cosplay or or you know something like that uh, that is less abstract. I've done we've done that a few times where we sort of tried to communicate it. I remember in the early days of Swedish LARP we talked about it as interactive theater. That was before like Sleep No More and interactive theater was mm. a concept in itself. Uh, so uh, and then calling it interactive theater had people sort of welcome it in another way. Now we've been blessed for having LARPing such an important part of sort of Swedish youth culture. So LARP is actually, it's gone from what is that to is this some sort of demon worshiping to, oh my God, this is so nerdy to like just normal. Mm. Uh, kind of like cosplays in the US. It's sort of a, it's sort of a cool thing that people know about. Mm. Not everybody want to do it, but it's, Cosplay is on one place, and I know furries is somewhere else. And, <laughs> and LARPing is more in the cosplay scene yeah. than in the furry scene in Sweden. Uh, I think. So, so I think it's I think it's interesting in general because I mean, having having played at LARPs run by all three of you, um, you know, the the venue has been such an important part from a player perspective. I mean, you know, um, just. You know, starting with with um, Legend of the Stars, where where the you know the old the old U.S. Navy ships that we used for those, um, you know, the Massachusetts was a nice clean ship, and let's be honest, the Salem needs quite a lot of tender loving care, and and you know it 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 felt like that derelict space station that you're looking for, um, you know, for for Sahara, you know, the the desert itself just made you really feel like you were out on that archaeological expedition. And for College of Wizardry, I mean, the LARP starts the second you see that castle. The moment you turn that corner and see it for the first time, your mind is just sort of, oh my god, I've actually gone to Hogwarts. Hmm. And, you know, it's it's funny because my wife and I were down in Florida over the holidays and we went to Universal Studios. And, you know, went to the the Hogwarts section of that. And it has a similar effect, but still just not the same. Because, because you can't go into it. You know, you can't be part of it the same way. There's no, there is none of that interaction that you have in the LARP, which just makes it that much more, like, special. And... You know, it's, 
I, I think a lot of it from a player perspective has, has to do with that. You know, the castle becomes its own character. Um, the Salem becomes its own character. The Sahara was certainly a character because, you know, every time you took a wrong step, you fell flat on your face in the sand. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it's a lot of things like that. So how, how, how do you guys sort of think about that from a player perspective? A good friend of mine who does a lot of um, artifacts and, and uh, costume and so on, he's, he, he said something when we were doing Three Villages, so this is 94. He said that uh, after a while when, you, when you're working on something, it's no longer something that you're making, it's something that you unearthed, something that you found. Uh, and um, I think w when you describe these, these LARPs, uh, I think that's the very special part of, of venues and uh, scenery that LARPing uh, has. It's all very genuine, it's all very, very real. And I've been working with Im Imagineering on, on Star Wars lands, I've been working with uh, CCP games on FanFest, and I've been working with all these sort of film uh, activations, wh which is, you know, it's on a scale that is absolutely fantastic, but still as a LARPer, being spoiled with things being, even if it's, you know, you know, glued together instead of hands-on, it's all, it's it, everything has become a real uh, sort of, the clothes of the character rather than the costume and the place of this, you know, spaceship or whatever. It all, there's such a care for details and, and fabrics and, and so on. And even these these grand, fantastic sceneries uh, made by organizations that can for them, somehow a LARPer kind of goes in and says, "Ah, that's," eh. and maybe that was a little bit what you felt with with um, uh, the the sort of theme park version of Hogwarts. That it's you know it's grand, it's fantastic, it's much more accurate, but it's it's not several hundred years old and made of real wood everywhere. Maybe it is, but you know, I think that's what LARPing does with scenery and venues. That it's it sort of picks what's right and then makes it real, which I think is very special. So I do want to add one thing, though, because we also did Galaxy's Edge while we were down in Florida. And the feel was very different. You felt immersed in Galaxy's Edge to an extent that you didn't feel in the Hogwarts section of Universal. Um, and that may have been because they had NPCs running around that you could interact with. There was stuff you could interact with in the in the universe a lot more, um, and it it was just a very different feel. I mean, it was, you know, especially with with the Star Cruiser Hotel that they're coming out with, you really feel like it's LARP on a Disney budget. I mean, you you should have Corey and Asa uh, do a pod with you, uh, the guys at Imagineering. That sort of uh, the the brainchild of the immersiveness is all theirs uh, because and they they you know they went, they've been to Hob, uh, to College of Wizard and they went to um, uh, Monaster Celestra and so on so they, they love LARPing and and uh, took took that in into it but the the whole idea there from the get go was to make it um, to make it immersive and make it real rather than a show so I think maybe that showed a little bit in, in your in that experience but that you know they they're really great brilliant people so you, we should you should have them on board and speak about that rather than me mm -hmm. I was just a small peg in that uh, more than happy for more topics <laughs> I, I think I was um, um, I want you to add that there is a sort of trap in this venues fever 
Okay, so I mean, uh, I, I, I felt I feel that there are there are two two problems uh, inside. The first one is uh, I really hope that the LARP will, even if it's cooler and cooler and location are always the best location you can have, and the costume are going like incredibly well. I, I hope that LARP will still have this dirty side, imperfection side, uh, because it's real. And also because if we push too much on perfection, uh, we will become obsessed, obsessed by perfection, which is, of course, not good. And also perfection is, is impossible to attend. And also, we will lose this community side. We, it will become too much a, a commodification of LARP. I mean, it's totally fine if people are making out their life doing LARP. It's completely cool, but their customers are more a community that want to pay for their passion which is completely different. I mean, there is, of course, bank wire going in and out, but the spirit is completely different, I think. Uh, if you have a customer, you cannot have a LARP, actually. Uh, you have an amusement park, is another another business, okay? You, you LARP still require action by the participant. And so this is, I think, one of the problem. The other problem is this hypertrophic um, approach to location. You know, the bigger, the better, the more immersive, the most gigantic. Uh, we will finish the world. <laughs> we will take all the cool location. You know, it's like, I think we are in a sort of Christopher Columbus way. You know, they are, we are conqueror more and more um, cool venues, but it will finish, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, so then I think we need to rely more on design because once people will be uh, too much addicted to being surprised, they won't be surprised anymore. No, I, so I fully agree. I fully agree. I mean, it's the same um, progression in all new art forms, though. So, I, you know, when the movie, you know, film industry started, it, they were these sort of, you know, the cowboys shooting into the camera or... A, a train arriving or, or waves on the cliffs of Dover, it was all sort of the wow effect. And the same thing with, with uh, uh, computer games, it's sort of a better and cooler graphics and, and so on. So I think LARPing is just in that uh, very typical phase of art where it, where it needs to win by wow effect. And eventually, I mean, it, it, you know, the avant-garde exists with the, the blockbusters, but eventually there will be a, as you say, a saturation for our sort of you don't want the, the wow effect anymore. You want the subtleties and you want the, the nuances and so on. So I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, and also the, the overwhelming drama uh, doesn't talk about the people. It talks about the place. Uh, um, I, I was exposed to this um, uh, Netflix documentary about Ilse Crawford um, who done all these fantastic interior designs. And, and when she approached the, the um, the task, it was always the human in the place. Before then, like hotel lobbies were like super grand and everything was just sort of a drama. But, and she turned that over and said, you know what, we should, we should uh, design for the people and tell their stories or make a story for who they want to be. Um, you know, so I, I, I think that if we all go, if we go for the sort of quote unquote blockbuster LARP approach, uh, mm -hmm. it's, about, it's about the organizers, the venue, the, the, the LARP instead of the LARPers. So. I completely agree.
I mean, we see like in so many different communities. Um, I've been involved in like the Burning Man community locally and the the main burn. And there's this term called sparkle pony, which I think is like something that happens when, you know, in the beginning, it's like everyone's just appreciating it's happening and they just can't believe that they're there. And everyone wants to put in 110% because it's such a beautiful thing. And then that happens and more people come in. But eventually that's so big that people can come into it and they just see it and they just, that's just how it is. And then the sparkle pony is someone who kind of shows up to the festival and they're like, well, I bought a ticket. So I'm here to be entertained, hmm. entertain me. And it's like, no, 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 no. We're all participants. Like the guy who built this giant piece of art, this art car, this camp, they all bought tickets too. Um, hmm. what, are, what are you contributing? Well, I'm here. I bought a ticket, like entertain me. And that's kind of, um, where I have seen LARP even go with a small percent of the population as LARP kind of gets bigger and bigger. So and when I had my, when my LARP was much smaller, I never had that. But as the LARP got bigger and there was more infrastructure and there was more bureaucracy and logistics and things were running smoother and a player would come in, they would just expect that that was the, that's what they bought, right? That they, they bought that. And like, in my head, I'm kind of like, no, you bought a ticket so this thing could exist and now you're here and that's it. You know, now it's up to you to add and make this rich with everybody else. Um, and that's the cultural shift that I would be worried about bouncing back to what happens like when you were saying Alessandro in relation to what Martin was saying with like the LARPs getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Is it just like going to the movies you know, I'm not here to contribute anything. I'm not here to add anything because then that's, we're going to lose kind of what you're saying, Christopher, with that human effect, because most LARPs that I go to, especially smaller LARPs or just kind of uh, black box theater LARPs, it's kind of like everyone's excited to be like, I got this role. I can't wait to bring these awesome ideas. I have all these like kind of stories I want to bring in. I even brought some props. I mean, some of the best LARPs I've had is when I LARP the LARP. Right. Like I'm not I'm like, I brought my own LARP with my crew to your LARP to make it cool. Mm. That's some of the best experiences. Um, <clears throat> but that consumer expectation, I guess, or just that like, <clears throat> excuse me, people coming in who just want to be entertained rather than be part of the arts. And mm. that that will be a hard shift because uh, mm. the, the statistics are when 20 percent of the people are not are new you can use the old culture to build it. And you guys at College of Wizardry have this great kind of like infrastructure where you have these tiers of people who are players, but they're kind of like NPCs and they're training new players how to be part of the community. Um, but if you have more than 20% of new players, you start to see a shift of the values and the community culture drop. And that bell curve gets real steep after 30%. Um, and that's, that's basically what these festivals have seen, right? Because there's these principles that the festivals have, these ideas that are expected to be known. And then when people come in and someone's like, hey man, don't throw that on the ground, leave no trace, LNT. They're like, what, what's that mean? It means like, don't, you take everything with you that you brought. Well, I don't do that. It's like, there's, then there's a disconnect in community culture. Hmm. Uh, and then the other thing to get back to what you were saying, Martin, that I thought was interesting is, uh, and just getting back to events in general, and I think Alessandro, you spoke to this, is that what makes events important for me and what made Sahara important for me 
and made Black Friday important for me and made College of Wizardry important for me is that when I go to these venues, I will often go off on my own away from everybody for an hour. I don't want to be around anyone. I just want to feel the space. And I think this is what you were talking about, Alessandra, when you first get to a space that yeah. I want to have a relationship with the space that is a character and the story that it tells me without anybody else around. And so I had some, and there's these magical moments I'm looking for. Like when I was at College of Wizardry on the backside by the river that went into the town area that's kind of like dilapidated. I don't know how it is now, Christopher, but it was pretty rough back there, right? Mm -hmm. I had this feeling, I had this feeling inside me that said, the rules of physics are different here. You're on the threshold of another world because of its history, because I was in another country, right? Like I literally felt like you need to be careful, my bro, because you don't know what creatures and energies are lurking behind these corners and no human prop, anything could replace that feeling. Same thing when I was in the Sahara desert and we were hiking and I, when we stopped and I said this at night, we went to go to the bathroom and we stopped during the hike and I walked over and doing it by myself. So I couldn't see anybody. And then also at night when we went to go look at the stars, I walked over a dune so I couldn't see anyone. I know it's super dangerous, but I put a glow stick on someone. Um, I had this feeling that I was in another world. And why is that important? Why is that important? Because when I come back to the LARP, I have gone into that magical ritual space. I have been transformed. And I think that is what's key about venues. So if big production LARPs can do that and then also keep community culture, like sign me up, I'll join their banner. I'll leave my castle and go there. You know, I'll leave my little wooden fort and go there for sure. Um, but I think that is one of the key magics about venue in scenery that's important, that there needs to be this uh, provocative emotion, not just this thought, this provocative emotion that comes up in me that I'm uh, uh, of creative arousal. And I'm like, whoa, you know, I am a creative force. And now I'm gonna go back to the LARP with that energy. Like that to me is huge, huge with the venues. The, the um, one, one of the sort of really fantastic things about uh, Shoha and, and uh, the College of Wizardry and also the same thing at Bothwell is the genius structure of uh, uh, students and teacher or professor. Uh, in, a, in a classroom and uh, because a lot of LARPing is talking heads. It's either talking heads or fighting. Uh, I mean, that's a lot of what LARPing is about. Um, not to sort of diminish, but you wanna, you wanna you know, test your backstories and, and dig into the lore and in, you know, interact. Uh, but none of us are great actors unless we are for other reasons than LARPing. And uh, so we sometimes have to tread water and we, you know, this, we all know this really, I know. No timing, no no real dialogue. The scene is just horrible, but it's fantastic for for us. And and so the 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 venue and the scenery that was so fantastic with the, these magic school LARPs is the uh, is the fact you have a classroom and then you have you know the great halls or corridors that are not the classroom and you can you know skip class or or ask for a hall pass or just sneak out or and when you can go in and you know when you're on is when you're, you know, when you're asking a question or when you're the teacher and, and but you can be passive, but in the middle of it, um, this sort of, uh, the affordances of that, the fact that you can lean back and be fully immersed and, and you know, kind of be a spectator 
but together with everybody else, uh, it's just absolutely fantastic. And so the, a lot of the props that that Irit and everybody else uh, brings uh, when when we produce the events is is part of that. It's part of the lecture structure. It's like a little hand puppet that looks like a dragon, or it's a chalkboard for for making runes, and and it's all about that 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 the very um, uh, clear and pre you know, we all have pre understanding about what that what a teacher and student relationship looks like in 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 the classroom um, and uh, so from a sort of scenario perspective we design I, I, I we a lot of the LARP groups that I've been in organizing groups that I've been in we try to find those clear uh, structures like uh, when we did uh, Gertrude's Bachelorette at the Royal Theater so it's about Queen Gertrude uh, from Hamlet and about her bachelor party, bachelorette party before marrying the, the murderer of her ex-husband. You know, it's a horrible situation. But it was a white party. Everybody had white costume, uh, all the sort of part participants. It was, it was for the theater goers of, of Stockholm uh, or anywhere, but who, who were there. But it was a LARP. So, so they were given a character and they were given, and they were given instructions on costume. Uh, and... Um, and so everything we brought in there was to create, we, we used the aesthetics of, of a bachelor party or a bachelorette party with, with uh, you know, white uh, sort of uh, fabric and, and it was the glamor of that and, and sort of balloons and so on. Uh, but it was all done to, to push people to the confrontation with the demons that, you know, turn out to be Hamlet. The play Hamlet starts the moment our LARP stops. Um, I forgot where I was going with this. Well, yeah, so everybody knows what a bachelor party or a bachelorette party is. Everybody knows what a wedding is. Everybody knows what, uh, what a, you know, as I said, student teacher's situation is. And so when you create a scenario that has that very clear communication, this is a wedding or this is, the, this is a big grand uh, meeting of, of the, the Senate or whatever. Uh, and, and you find the venue that, that builds that and you find and you bring props that that facilitate that, like the chalkboard for the teacher. Uh, that's when people can really go crazy. They, you don't have to tell them anything really. They know the rules already. I have something linked to to that Christopher is saying. Um, I think we um, something that we need to learn is that from a designer point of view, I'm, I'm talking um, is uh, the movement. You know, ideas, story needs space. So find a cool location is not enough. Your location needs to be playable. Of course, if it looks nice and immersive, fine. But we need to, to ask some questions. For example, you know, if it's a, let's say, parlor LARP, where people can meet and talk, where you can host the major speech if your LARPs start with the major or the captain speech, let's say. Or there is a dark corner for your night ambush or because there is no good venue in abstract. I mean, there is a good venue for your LARP and your story. Um, you, you, need, you need to figure out, we all need to figure out better how to move or let people be able to move into the space because we are still in a phase where location is cool, is big enough, go and have fun. And we are not uh, so, so uh, skilled enough because it, it's still a young scene, we have to admit, to see how, where things can happen without being too pushy, of course. You need this, this mastery of, 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 of situated experience in space 
is so crucial. I think the designer need to be more, you know, like expert in the, in sound specialization, you know, hmm. like move the sound around, you know, the room. Now we are really in the stereo era, you know, we have this two channel. So it's, it's realistic, but it's still not uh, exploited as we can. We need to go like more four channel, octophonic, binaural, you know, all this kind of new technology hmm. that can help people to be immersed because, you know, one thing that makes me sad for times, and that was a, a big challenge for Sarah, is space is, is immense, basically. <laughs> Where people can meet, you know, uh, it, it's cool, but also they have no space. So you need to, to do this space, you know, like sort of tape larp or dogville, uh, you know, style, mm -hmm. where I can design the finite space into the void, you know. This is, yeah, this, I, this is a problem. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and the and the architectural or sort of flow design of that is sometimes really sort of upside down to what it is in the normal world. So, for instance, you talk about the dark corner where you can have secret meetings. Uh, in a LARP, ideally, you make that dark corner where you have these secret meetings in such a way that everybody else can also listen in. Yes. So, you know, it has to be the perfect <laughs> sneaky, sneaky place that is also pretty much a public space. And uh, there's all these really weird upside down challenges of, of LARPing where you have to think the opposite of, of normal. And I've done a lot of LARPs in, um, in the city. And then you're sort of fighting against the way the city is made because it's made for you know, trade or travel or, or recreation or whatever. And uh, LARPing always want to do the opposite of what it's made for. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a challenge and, and it has very different, very distinct different needs uh, like we in in um, the monitor celestra as a player group we, we i we decided just in the game to say that um, to be very obvious when we were secret mm -hmm. so because and, and not to do it in a, in a sort of overacting way instead what we did was uh, i was some sort of presidential advisor or something and what i what i did was i, w I went into a room and i said Listen, everybody, this is going to be a confidential conversation over here. Please do not disturb us. And of course, everybody who was a sneaky sneaker could then sort of mm, <laughs> confidential conversation over there. I'm just going to get another coffee and sit close by. Uh, so but it, if the venue uh, provides this and for instance, you know, if you have a if you have a, um, a, a battleground between the villages, they're going to fight more because it's, you know, it's easy to get to if it's far away in the forest it's going to be a bit of an ass sort of pain to go over there. So they're going to have less fights. So, you know, you can design it for that. Um, the, the, it's called design theory, I guess, when, when you introduce an object or, or, a, or a feature that changes behavior. I heard this really beautiful story about uh, two villagers that were in conflict. conflict and uh, um, uh, the, the, the women uh, really got um, the bad end of the stick there. And... Uh, so they opened a bakery. Uh, I'm, I'm doing this for drunken history version of this. So everything I said is probably wrong, but this is my takeaway. They opened a bakery, which the, the women could run because they knew how to make bread. And, and that became the bridge between the two villages. The, the, the women were no longer being, you know, uh, really poorly treated because they had, they were empowered and everybody wanted bread. And this became a meeting place for the, the, the two sort of tribes. Um, in, uh, for, I think it was former Yugoslavia. But anyway, so, you know, sometimes you can't change conflict behavior by, by changing attitudes, but by introducing 
things that steer the, the interaction will eventually change the, the attitude. And that's how LARPing venues work, I guess. So I think it's interesting that, that you mentioned the sort of, you know, secret dark place that you can go to and have, and have those conversations. Um, I, I've discovered as a player that sometimes the venue actually helps you greatly with that. So we had a uh, LARP that, we, that, that I was at last year uh, called Outbound Hope. Um, which is played out on an, on an old uh, decommissioned U.S. destroyer. Um, I mean, myself and a few of the other players, we, we'd all had naval service, so we all sort of knew how the equipment worked, and it's hit or miss whether it actually works on board the ship sometimes. But the one thing that worked perfectly, which played really well for my character, was there's a communications panel on the bridge that goes straight to the captain's day cabin. And as the as the exo, the executive officer in the game, the captain's day cabin was my sleeping room. So I could literally turn on the intercom on the bridge, and it was a small switch. Nobody ever noticed it. There were no lights on the panel, and I could just sit back in my little cabin and listen to the entire conversation. And you know, and then you th then I come out onto the bridge, and I and I'm ready with the reply that they're expecting to send someone down to me. Like, How did you know that was coming? I'm like. That's like it's just my job as XO, man. Thing. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> um, you know, but but so sometimes I think that venues have those sort of built-in advantages. Um, you know, like one of the yeah. nice things about College of Wizardry is the fact that all of those secret passages through the castle. Oh my god! I mean, you could hide behind that secret passage and listen to what's going on on the other side of a bookshelf easily, no problem. Um, you know, it's the same thing for, for Legend of the Stars. I mean, if you know the right spot to stand on that ship, you can hear half the conversations going on. Uh, you know, Sahara. This reminds me of a, of a senior that is just absolutely important to bring to, hmm? to every LARP, and that's the billboard. Uh, you know, the sort of um, uh, help wanted or, or Dragon Slayer wanted, or I'm looking for my, my... If you have a central location where people can put up... Uh, just you know, sticker notes or whiteboard or scrolls, depending on setting. It just changes so much. And then eventually, if it isn't planned before, people are going to become heralds and run around with messages and seek people. So you created a business, and you know that that people can trade for apples or or mead or whatever the LARP is about. Uh, so so one thing for scenery that that is really great for for any LARP is that sort of, and it has to be. It can't be. It really can't be cell phones or sort of super techie because it has to have that sort of clunky disconnectedness. So it becomes dramatic uh, because if, you know, it's it's like any horror movie. If I can just text you and say, don't go down to the cellar, then, you know, you're never going to meet the monster and it's not a horror movie. And it, the same with LARPs. If we can just sort of centrally organize everybody, then the drama is gone. But if we have a clunky old school kind of billboard, that creates a lot of play. Well, that's one of the things, yeah. so working on a different LARP called A Matter of Honor, and that's one of the things we're building into that. It's a very techie LARP because it's set, you know, many years in the future. But message delivery for the crew is going to be handled by the communication staff. They'll get a message in, hmm. they'll have to print it out, and then the people who aren't physically working in the communications hut will get to hand deliver those messages to the rest of the crew hmm. members because it, it, A, gives them something to do, but it also gives... It also gives that interaction because it, it's like the servants in downtown in in, in, um, in Fairweather Manor, right? 
It's if you hand the servant a note and you tell them to go deliver a note and, oh, by the way, don't read the note. You know they're going to read that note. You know that they're going to know exactly what's going on. And then the gossip is going to spread. It's going to be, oh, you know, you know, Chief Petty Officer so-and-so just got that Dear John letter from his wife. And, and you know, she's leaving him right as we go into this massive battle. And that starts spreading through the crew. And, you know, I, I, I think it's a mechanic that works really well with many venues. So so definitely, yeah. Yeah, the, this this functional malfunction is, is very cool. You know, when you slow down the the communication, or you make it less real, or you know that there are all in your communication system, this is all room for 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 playing basically. Hmm. And something that we need to open, um, um, uh, according to the billboard example, we need to do space design and open some. Let's say campfire is a figure, of course, a figure of speech. Let's say point of interest spread all around the location because otherwise it's like having a, a cool apartment and stay in the living room all the day long. You know, hmm. um, you need to provide game in different corner that way people will go around because otherwise they will follow the natural inclination of the location and you will see the very sad scene where all the players are clustered together. And they destroy the suspension of disbelief because you see, for example, mortal enemies talking together just because it's the only available room. And you will, you will try to, mm. your, your love will fall apart uh, part by, you know, brick by brick and will, it will fall down forever. Typical so you, with, with, with fantasy taverns that like everybody wants to go in and get a nice hot meal and listen to some music. So eventually, you know, the orcs are next to the, to the elves. Yeah, but you, your Nobody just bothers because away. they know the play needed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we think that I will just give you a very short example. When we did New Atlantis, which was a post-apocalyptic LARP in which the, the water crisis was like incredible and it was very hard to survive. This group of survivors were basically still watered by, by um, guy, bad guys who have it. And um, but to, we had this very cool location with these two houses, and we need to move people from one house to another, which was 15 minutes by walk. And we bought drones, you know, and we drive drones, so they were like escape to drones. It's a very silly example, but you know, it's a way to force them in the in, in the fiction to move. So we we learned to to fly drone, which is still cool. But when the NPC was driving the drone, people were seeing the drone and going to the different direction. If we had this sort of gamification um, tracking, which can be maybe uh, boring for for not mountain people, but when you are doing that, hiding from these two drones is, mm. is, is, is a good way. So we need to move the location because if we have a too static location and scenery, uh, you will have the tavern, this tavern effect. We can name it that way. I mean, yeah, and, and there's a, there's a power in, in uh, uh, you know, in film, uh, they call it kinetics, you know. It, that's why people sort of walk and talk uh, in movies. Always the president is on the move, you know. It, it creates some feeling that something is happening, even if it's a very static moment. And, and you need that in LARP too. And LARPers tend to just congregate around the nice, cool place. You're totally right. Totally right. Because I find I found the feedback I've gotten about my own LARP is that for all the huge production that we do in hours of installation, uh, is that the best moments are in the hallway passing. 
right? It's, it's, in Sahara, it's like, I went off to go do something and someone else is already out in the desert. And then we have this intimate interaction. It's, it's some, I bump into somebody else in the secret passage while I'm skipping class and they're skipping class too. And like, we both are going to go do something like naughty. And it's like, Ooh, let's do naughty things together. Like, so, so amazing. You know? Um, it like with the, anything with the ships, whether it's outbound hope or legends, it's kind of like, there's so many levels and hallways and ways to get there. And then you get lost and then someone finds you and you're, you, you kind of stumble into somebody in a scene. That's not part of the LARP. It's just that player interaction which to me is like the big goal, right? Is to get the players, you know, yes, I got to do all the art production. Yes, I got to do all these art installations so the players will have the believability. But if we can just get them to move, as you're saying, Alessandro, and then interact with each other in these spaces and create their own LARPs, like that's the real memorable moments. Is That's the feedback I've gotten at least. You know, it's not, it was never my big, maybe I'm talking bad about my own LARP, but it was never like the big, this is the story. It was always like, and then this happens. Um, yeah. One way, maybe this is another conversation. Uh, we should do another of these. But but one way to do think about scenery uh, is also time. Uh, you know, not just the sort of day, time of the day. But I'm losing my train of thought here. But I was going to say something smart, but instead I just lost it. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe another time. I'll, I'll remember it then. Well, I know, I know that there's like there's the question of like how much time should we send on scenery and i'm horrible at this because i'm love big art installations and because i learned i've learned how to run larps from doing festivals you know just not even the pre-production of stuff but i'll spend you know 300 more time than the larp itself just decorating the larp out and making it look good um because i usually i don't have venues that i can leave my stuff at so what we've started to do now which has been more costly is we'll go in and rent out days before just to do this giant installation, you know, two or three days to do an eight hour LARP, for example, mm. with COVID, it's like, you know, we can't do the long LARP. So, um, and, I, and I don't, that was a good question that came up as a prompt and I, I don't know the answer to that. Like, do you guys have like a percentage that you use for like, this is too much time with setup? This is too much resources? No, I mean, everybody works for a year with their character and stuff like that. So, but yeah, we try to keep it down for, for renting places. Yeah. I remember what I was going to say about time, though. I was going to say that if you can't do genetics by moving people and you can't change venue, you can you can create a similar effect by by time lapses by saying now it's two days later. Or mm. We did it with Hamlet, for instance. We we did sessions where where we so we sat we sat that LARP in in sort of. 1920s and we did some scenes on old film where we sort of edited old film stuff and, and shot new stock uh, and uh, so when when prince hamlet is is you know traveling we see like an old uh, old school uh, news film about what's going on with the sort of armies moving and stuff like that and and then when it's done it's two weeks later and that changes the energy. Then suddenly people realize I'm not going to sit in the same sofa, have the same conversation with this person I've been doing. So that you get a completely new energy into the room by without even moving any set dressing or anything or moving people. You just sort of tell them it's now after the meteor hit, what do you do? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, usually time is, is set in LARPs. It's like real time, but using and, and a lot of the times people use it also for having breaks, like go and, and plan new kind of actions. We, our characters should be enemies now, whatever. But even if you don't do that, just by saying it's now 
you know, when we turn on the lights again, it's two days later, then the venue changes energy. I found that with Intercon, which is kind of like uh, in, in the Northeast where LARPers go to retire, right? It's kind of it's at a hotel. It's a lot of people who did the big boffer LARPs and whatnot. And now they're just writing stories and it's in a room no bigger than this maybe with like 20 people and very minimal props. And it's like, how do you do a four hour LARP? And that that's exactly what they're doing. And I, I will say some of the best LARPs I've done and I've done a lot of blockbusters is still some of these just well-written in a room, no prop LARPs. And that's a powerful device to be like, you think you're going this way, stop. Okay, this is where we're going now. Re and three, two, one, go. And it's like, holy smokes. Yeah, I think it, there's power in that, right? Mm. Absolutely. There we I'm go. actually cognizant of real time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so I've got two. I've got two last questions for you because we are we are running out. We are running close to our end here, and they should be they should be fairly simple. Um, <laughs> uh, what has been Famous your last words? Right. But what is <laughs> but what has been your favorite venue as either an organizer or as a player? I College of Wizardry Shoa Castle is just really fantastic. I mean, I could say a lot of other different venues, like spaceships and battleships and and stuff like that. But I know in my heart that that place is just the freaking coolest place I've ever LARPed at. As a player, I would say uh, the Elsinore Castle in Denmark, where I played inside Hamlet, mm. because it was my first castle LARP. So it was the first time I was in a castle. And I know not all castles are the same, but it was still like, whoa, I'm, I'm doing that in, in, in a castle, which is the historical castle. LARP. As a player, as an organizer, I had good time, of course, in Sarah Desert and also in Bunker 101, which was um, which is still a, an underground bunker with made by Germany in, in, in World War II and then used it for the Americans during the, the Cold War. And it's still there, all the machinery are there. And the challenge of moving people around the corridor, as we say, you know, this kinetic aspect of LARP and um, having the trust of people spending a weekend underground with you was something that we need to, to build this, this trust and um, and also the location was like really secluded for the war so was for the external world so was was really really one of the best um, illusion i had to be in another world you know we were inside of our mountain so everything everything was just um so so bunker <laughs> It's, it's, so it's a phrase. It's bunker. Like that's like it's bunker. Fire. It's no, it was it was a dystopia. It was an alternative fifties, um, and um, everything was just in uh, in in the setting. Everything was 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 incredible. Let's say. Yeah, it's funny you ask that, Martin, and it's so amazing to be with uh, Alessandro and Christopher because it it is College of Wizardry for that playful. I'm going to have friends, friendship is magic. I'm going to have connections. I'm going to go back to the school I wish I had, like to relive, like kind of fill in the gaps of childhood, that the magic of the place alone, like you could do anything there, it's amazing, but especially do it as that Hogwarts inspired place was gold. 
And then, and, and just so you know, the first time that I went out to Cal, I spent a week traveling before I got there, going to Stonehenge, going to Glastonbury, going to like magic performances to like really get in character. So that kind of had my trajectory. So it's charged. Similarly with uh, Sahara, Martin and I went out into the desert. We went on a Star Wars tour. We went and saw uh, Berber ancient villages in the mountain, which was like, what the and like then went to the LARP. Um, and, I, and I don't know if that's because they're part of my favorite venues, but they were magical. And at no time did I have to fill in the gaps with those venues. Um, and my own favorite one, you're right, Martin, in US, the USS Massachusetts and the other three ships, it's huge, it's epic, it's, it's big. But the dilapidation of the USS Salem and the idea that this ship is ready to bite and kill you and you might get asbestos is something that's like so gritty and real um, that I love about my own, the, the venue that I've had. So it's very cool to have all three of us here together as far as asking me what's my favorite LARP venue. <laughs> so so, so, so uh, as a player, I, I have to say that, that from a selection of a favorite venue, it's really hard. Um, you know, I, I've played at all three of your venues and, and I've played at other venues that are, that are equally amazing for, for equal reasons. Um, I'd have to say that it's probably a tie between College of Wizardry just because, I mean, you can't beat a castle from the 1200s, you know, to play a magical wizard. It's really hard. <laughs> um, the, the the other one is actually um, the the other one that I think was was an amazing venue was actually Odysseus um, because they took it was a it was a LARP in Finland where they took this I think it was a middle school and literally transformed the entire middle school into a spaceship I mean mm-hmm. rebuilt I mean you know put stuff on the inside and and you you walked in and you felt like you were there it was just such an amazing way to to take a venue that doesn't fit the image and use all the additional scenery aspects to change it into, to, um, you know, the, the venue that you, that they wanted. I mean, they built a science lab, a complete module science lab inside the cafeteria. It was just so. I saw the pictures you showed. It was fire. And the only thing that I can compare it to is like seeing what sleep no more did in Boston to an elementary school and turned it into like, not, not that there was none of that, right? <laughs> you know, uh, but you know, it, but, but again, it was an artificial space, whereas whereas Choha is a very organic space. Um, you know, Sahara was a very organic space, and Sahara was amazing from a venue perspective as well. But um, so, the last question for each of you: um, What's next for each of you with LARP? I am. I was in the US in the beginning of March, 2019. Uh, and when I stepped off the plane, the mayor of Austin said, South by Southwest Festival is closed. Uh, and I was just about to have an event for 10,000 people. Uh, a few hours later, um, someone said the, the police are, are cording off the castle uh, because of, uh, of uh, COVID. The situation uh, and so since then I've been fighting the battle to figure out a way to to uh, do big events again which of course is not possible right now I don't even want to imagine doing it uh, and also getting College of Wizardry 
happening then. So from, uh, and I, I just got a, a, a new job also, which is I'm running the Medieval Week, which is this very large uh, festival in Sweden. And it's kind of the, the, um, the Christmas of LAR for all LARPers. It's a summer holiday that everybody goes to. So my big challenge right now is to try to open the doors again to, to events that are closed because of COVID, of course. Uh, as a LARPer, I am going to keep finding ways to figure out what we can do with Bothwell, Bothwell and Shoha. And, uh, uh, and also, of course, for the Medieval Week, what, what, what can be done there? Uh, I've tried to sort of do Zoom LARPing. I've tried to play tabletop games over Zoom and so on and haven't really figured out the fantastic way of that yet. I know there are some people are doing great jobs, so I hope to be part of any of those events soon. Uh, but yeah, for me, for me, it's figuring out how to survive and how to rebuild and, and refinance because it all slammed close very brutally as is then it hasn't been cheap to keep the wheels turning slowly. And that's my big challenge. I guess it's more like an, as an organizer than a LARPer. As a LARPer, I'm just waiting for everybody to be well again and, and meet them and hug them and then kill them with a offer knife. I mean, you're, you're, you're always welcome to come to a matter of honor. We're still technically running in November. Wow. Yeah, I wish I could. I wish I could go to a LARP uh, for sure. Let's not op open that file where we are all like uh, desperate for for to start crying. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We... Sorry, Alexander. <laughs> no, it's, no, 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 no. It's your turn. Go, go. I was just gonna say we. I have been running LARPs for because we were supposed to launch FRS two, and it started uh, the like the fall before. COVID hit. So we were going to do, we did one big event and then we were going to launch and then we didn't launch. So we've been doing small events because uh, you can have 25 people outside um, and everyone's getting pre-screened and there's all kinds of paperwork and waivers and doing testing. Um, so it's really just for 10 players. And, uh, but I've stopped doing that because I did it for the passion of LARP, but as an organizer and a business owner, it was detrimental. Um, and, and, and like you're saying too, Christopher, I'm kind of in survival mode here, just trying to get to the other side, you know, I'm playing Frogger, uh, trying to not get hit by the financial bus <laughs> and get wrecked. Um, and I, I, and in ways, uh, things are very beautiful and in ways I'm seeing challenges I've never seen before. Um, and we just did an online LARP and I mean, it's, it's just not the same, right? It's none of the things that we're talking about. It's just friends getting together online, trying to synthesize the LARP. Um, so I'm hoping to get to a place where we, we can do LARPs again. Um, and I mean, I'm starting to do education in person. It's very scary, but you know, as far as doing the full blown events, I mean, this hmm. in my second, you know, second summer, not doing these giant summer events. And it, it's, it's hard to look at that, you know? Um, but yeah. just got to stay positive and push through this thing. <laughs> yeah. With Chaos League, we are doing, exploring more transmedia um, uh, storytelling and more uh, fields that are uh, close to LARP, not being LARP. Uh, we will soon launch a Kickstarter campaign. We will do a book of our, our Chamber Lab First Day Game, set in Berlin 1942. It's a soundscape. Um, game where players will play some of uh, people that are undesirable for the regime 
linked to the discussion about the location in this lab, the location is the soundtrack. We will play blindfold and everything that goes around is made by sound. So the sound provide, because you are hiding yourself in the basement, so you will be blindfolded from three to five players. And the dedicated soundscape will guide you and provide infos, mood, help, help player to find their way out from, from this situation. So it will be soon. And uh, we were part of the movie that uh, was shot in the Bunker 101, loosely based on, on, on our lab. And um, also we have two labs that are uh, finished now in the closet, hoping for best time uh, to run it. One is the zoo, a dirty Wall Street story is about the roaring 80s in a shameless Wall Street broker company. Yeah. And the other one, it, it will be some experimental lab. Again, the location is not exactly an office, it's more a zoo where people work as businessmen. Uh, so we will have some mechanics linked to the the, the fact that the uh, on purpose the location doesn't fit the fiction, the story, the, the setting, the fictional setting. And then the last one is Miskatonic Shadow Over the Campus is a Cthulhu Mythos, let's say college LARP, partially a Sahara Expedition prequel. So it's campus life, professor, students, and a mysterious finding, and we will discover how this uh, strange story that leads us in the Sahara start years years oh, before. Cool. So, uh, cool. <laughs> and, uh, and it's finished. I, I'm like, I want to do that, but. So, 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 so I can recommend our last episode to you then, which is all about sound and and how sound plays a big part with with LARP. So I mean, I can highly recommend that. But. Um, so I think this has been an excellent discussion, and I would love to continue this for hours, but unfortunately our time is coming to a close. Um, so I'd like to thank Christopher, Alessandro, and Eric for joining us today. Um, thank, you. thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode of From Adventure to Innkeeper, a podcast for all LARPers. Our next episode, which will release on the 23rd of May, 2021, uh, which will be the third episode of our second season, We'll look at some of the good, the bad, and the genuinely weird of LARP. And that topic will cover LARP from a player perspective, share good experiences, bad experiences, and those that have just been downright weird. Um, I'd like to again thank our guests for joining me live on the show. I'm your host, Martin. Thank you for listening. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Mal Books. Additionally, we'd like to thank the Lex Media for the use of their Fred Rothman Memorial Podcast Studio. And please check out their links on our website, adventuretoinkeeper.com. 